0: Welcome to the podcast. We have a special guest here today, Chip House. He's a four-time CMO himself of B2B SaaS companies. And we're going to talk through everything. We're going to talk about the viability of the MQL. We're going to talk about lead scoring. We're going to talk about alignment with sales. We're going to talk about the proper forms and uses of content, what Chip is doing differently these days, sparking conversations, what he's testing This is an action-packed episode, so stick around. I'm excited today because we have a four-time CMO with Chip House here, and those have all been inside of B2B SaaS companies. So Chip, you've got a a lot of experience, wealth of perspectives, and if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of an introduction um, about your background, and then we'll jump into some of the, the juicy content and the topics we want to talk about today. The, the juicy content and the topics we want to talk about today.
1: Yeah, Steve. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And, um, you know, I've been, it's scary, but I've been in SaaS now for over 25 years, definitely aging myself. But in 97, I started at a little company at that time called Digital River, an e-commerce vendor in Minneapolis here. And you know, have been in SaaS ever since and just kind of climbing the, the, the ranks of, of marketing. And as you mentioned, four-time CMO. So I have lots of opinions. So happy to share them with you.
0: Well, fantastic. Well, we were just talking about one uh, right before the recording here that is, I think, germane to everybody that's listening, all the CMOs out there and B2B marketers. And that is the so-called death of the MQL, I mean, you wrote an article about it, Gartner's talked about it, Forrester, McKinsey, all the top business publications. Maybe tell us a little bit about just your opinion on the MQL, death of the MQL, how you define it. What What's your opinion?
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of main things there. And the the LinkedIn post that I did uh, on on it was actually a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I don't 100% believe it's dead, but I think it's it's mostly dead, you know, as they say in The Princess Bride, it's mostly dead. Um, and the reason it is, I, I think marketers have largely abused it in many ways and have had uh, the wrong goals kind of foisted upon them or they've accepted them trying to justify their worth top of the funnel with saying, here's, how I'm counting and showing you that I'm doing stuff in marketing is this MQL count that I have for you, which is a very, you know, especially in, in B2B is often the first thing at the top of the funnel that you're counting. Maybe above that you're counting prospects or leads or whatever specific funnel methodology and language you're using. Um, and the the interesting thing about a marketing qualified lead is often marketing gets to define what it means right? So you can kind of game your own system. So that's, that's the first thing that I think is of concern. Uh, the second thing is, um, it focuses the marketer purely on the top of the funnel, not that the marketer necessarily shouldn't have some top of the funnel goals for their reach and the number of people that they're appealing to with their, their advertising, their organic content, etc. But they need to be curious, they need to look down funnel, so to speak, in every channel to see what is really happening with those leads. Because, um, you know, it, as many people have realized now, it is no longer a game of marketing, creating awareness, and then throwing the leads over the wall to the sales team. Um, it has to be a very joint process where you're building demand over time with a set of accounts. And then, uh, you know, hopefully encouraging those accounts to raise their hand mm-hmm. and opt in, request a demo uh, to the point that they've, there's some level of brand affinity and they they know you, they like you, they trust you uh, to help solve their problem. Uh, and at that point, they're more likely to be open to a sales conversation. And I think a lot of this has evolved, Steve, over the past several years too. the B2B state of buying has not stayed static in the last several years because of all of the technologies and, that have existed out there or been created over the past several years and maybe just work habits and you know some of us old timers are aging out that you know like don't mind getting on the phone more and more people hate getting on the phone hate filling out forms and they're going to get online and they're going to do their own research. And so in a complex B2B sale, you've got multiple different stakeholders inside of an organization that are doing their research online. And it might be, you know, 20, 30 steps before they're kind of, you know, ready to have a discussion with anybody. And so anyway, that's a long way of saying marketers need to move beyond MQLs Partner with the sales team and get curious. What's really happening down funnel? How do your advertisements and uh, you know efforts by channel convert to revenue down funnel?
0: So you brought up two really interesting points in there. One is you said you know people hate to fill out forms, right? And I think the stats on that are that literally only three percent of people in that buying group are ever going to fill out a form because we yeah. we know we're going to get, you know, re- retargeted. We know that it's going to come with a cost. And and so the vast majority of people are never going to raise their hand, right? Mm-hmm. They're never going to say, I'm a marketing qualified lead because I just gave you my name, phone number, email, <laughs> right? And so the, the first part is, okay, what about the other 97%, right? You know, if they don't they don't fit the typical definition of an MQL. Uh, how do you establish that relationship? How do you target them? How does how do you you know how do you work with them in getting them into and through the different stages of the funnel if they're not doing the traditional raising of the hand?
1: Yeah, it's so true. I think um, you know, a number of marketers ha- have pointed out that you know part of the reason maybe the era of the MQL is is gone is you know sales no longer needs marketing to get contact information for a lead right they, they can use tools like zoom info or apollo or seamless or whatever to go get contact information and reach out to people and augment it with tools like six sense or terminus or Bambora to get intent level data right so who actually might be in in market for your, your kind of product. Um, but. Here's the here's the challenge, and it's it's not a super easy channel so or cha- uh, challenge to solve, frankly, for CMOs, especially, and I'm in a B2B SaaS world because you if you have an SDR team, they are quote unquote hungry for leads, right? <laughs> and um, a lot of uh, sales teams, you know, I think it's just human nature. It's easier to have marketing give you a lead than to go create your own, right? And so you you take the path of least resistance, um, you know, to do that. Um, and, you know, so MQLs and counting MQLs become sort of utils of work, you know, for a BDR team, so to speak. And so it is harder when you move away from that, if you're kind of, built your funnel around counting MQLs moving to more of an ungated approach where you're trying to reach more potential buyers and engage more potential buyers and help them again, know, like, and trust you and uh, feel like you understand their pain and that you can solve it. Um, But you can't always count that engagement, right? A lot of it happens in the quote unquote dark funnel, right? Them sharing something offline, them reading uh, about you in an article, um, them listening to a podcast, them watching this, you know, and learning about Insightly that way, whatever it might be. um, That's how buyers learn about things these days. And a lot of it happens in an unattributable manner. But that doesn't mean that marketers shouldn't be there. Marketers really need to think about Uh, all the different places that their buyers could be and trying to engage them there where they are.
0: So that brings up an interesting topic then, you know, like the role of the SDR, right? So uh, some companies can attribute up to like 60% of their pipeline from SDRs. They're just out there and they're just, they're going, you know, cold, they're following up, they're getting their own list and versus, you know, marketing teaming up with SDR and there is a trend where more of the SDRs are reporting into market right And so there's there's two different you know opinions there. What's your opinion on SDR and, and maybe following up on on MQLs that aren't defined by you know form fills, but defined by all that, you know not in the dark funnel, but the the explicit implicit engagement that we can track and say, look, here is somebody who's engaged. This isn't a cold lead. Mm-hmm. They need that personal touch. You know, They need that relationship built. They need to be conversation ready. Like, what's your point of view on kind of where SDRs should sit in the organization and what they should be doing?
1: Yeah, you're right. And you point out, Steve, that a lot of SDR slash BDR organizations are now reporting up through marketing. Some report up through sales. Um, I can think of pros and cons for each scenario, frankly, you know, um, often a, a business path for an SDR will be up through the sales team rather than the marketing team. And, you know, they want to be sort of closer to those mentors and those leaders and be part of that organization and team potentially to best further their knowledge and their career. But, you know, functionally um they more align with the top of the funnel, right? With what marketing is doing and the messaging marketing is using and the language that it uses uh, or that they use to kind of trigger a response in an SDR cadence is very similar to a marketing email, right? Or maybe a social ad. And so uh, there's a lot of benefit for marketing being very, tie it into the pulse of the SDR organization. But in terms of where, uh, where it reports, I think it more has to do with your specific organization. And if you can partner closer with, closely with sales and you have good rapport with the SDR leader, I don't think it necessarily matters whether or not they report to you. You just need to be closely aligned with them. Um, so that's, that's how I think about that.
0: Maybe talk about that alignment. I mean, you know, alignment with sales is is a hot topic, right? And mm-hmm. and a disconnect between marketing and sales. And so, how do you get aligned? And then how do you enable? And what's your what's your perspective after after been there, done that, number of times? You know, how do you create that alignment?
1: It has to be very deliberate, and, and it has to start uh, with your heads of marketing and sales. And I, I think it was. Before I even started this role, uh, I was connecting with with Dave Osborne, our, our chief sales officer, right, and we talked about alignment and just how we thought about go to market and that and the fact that we need to be aligned on ICP and channels and all those other things. Um, and so we've deliberately created those communication uh, connections. So it includes we don't have a a sole rev ops team. We have a marketing ops team and we have a sales ops team, but they function like a, in a joint rev ops team per se. Uh, we, we share spreadsheets around goals. The, the goals we have are, and KPIs are in common. We're building SDR quotas and sales quotas together. Um, hmm. And that's a lot of it. It's just very deliberate alignment around goals and ICP and go to market. Um, I think the the thing I would add onto that is adding in the cadence of the meetings, not just for you and say the head of sales, if you're a CMO, but also ops to ops, you know, demand gen to ops leaders, and then we also do a, a weekly touch base um, as well. And the other thing that we do is we sit down on a regular basis with our CEO and run through our pipeline, you know? Um, And that's me and the sales leader. And so you bet we better be aligned when we're having those conversations or, you know, it's easier to call BS pretty quickly. And so so I wanna go back to one thing you said about MQLs, because there is the one place where there is still a ton of validity and we leverage our own marketing automation uh, capabilities to score leads, right? And so we are still doing, Lead nurturing, you know, through our journey mechanism and scoring those leads. And, you know, I think it's changed over time when we engage the SDRs to reach out at what score, whether it's initially or when they, you know, uh, reach a certain score. And that kind of depends on the resources you have or what channels they come in for. Because that's the number one thing to say about MQLs is they're not all created equal. You know, uh, depending on what you're counting. A demo request, hand raise from somebody who has, uh, you know, digested your podcast and your marketing messages for the past year is very different from a high quality lead that you got via content syndication or something like that, right? They're just are they're two different planets of engagement, frankly.
0: So, it, you know, lead scoring is one of those things that if you ask ten different CMOs. You know, what's your lead scoring methodology? You get 10 different answers. There, there would certainly be things that are, you know, that are common. Yeah. But what's your philosophy? Not only are, are you charged with you know making sure that lead scoring is, is correct and 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 evolving over time, but your tool is designed so other companies can do lead scoring through Insightly. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of a product perspective and a marketer perspective on this that most CMOs don't. Like what What's important? What should we be taking away from this call in terms of that lead scoring? Because that is a tipping point, right? When things happen, right? Thresholds are met. And so just a little bit about your your philosophy of, of how you look about, you know, lead scoring and what you could share with us.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, it's a mo- lead scoring is a model that you build and customize for your own organization based on your ICP and who you're trying to reach, and the level of engagement required, uh, you know, before they talk to a sales rep, basically, is, is what it is. And you get to decide what elements are important, right? You know, how do you score for things like title, right? If they're a director versus a C level, are those different scores, right? And in most organizations, they would be, right? right. Um, the size of the organization or the industry in. Those can also be, be triggers for how you score things. And I think they're all important and relevant. And I've, I have I think um, most marketing happens effectively when you can really dial into who buys your product and, and who is making the decisions inside of the organization. And if you build your lead scoring around that, you're gonna have a pretty
0: good model. So I'm going to step back. I'm going to ask more of a a general question. Yeah. Four times in as a CMO, got a lot of opinions. What are you most proud of that you're doing right now as a CMO?
1: Yeah. No, thanks for asking. Um, Well, it's funny. You learn this game sort of slowly over time. And honestly, marketing has changed significantly over the past 25 years that I've been in SaaS, it used to be there was just marketing, and then there was digital marketing, you know, and direct marketing, and now just you know the number of things that marketing is responsible for is crazy. And I, I saw the meme recently where you had, um, you know, the the lions of Lion King looking over the valley and said, "All of the areas the light touches, we're responsible for." But there's there's an element of that that's sort of true. Um, So I guess what I'm most proud of is with my current organization is the fact that I feel like I've built a really strong team and that team gets it because they've been, a lot of them have been there before too, whether as content leaders or uh, demand gen leaders. Um, And they, a lot of them are younger than me, (laughs) some aren't. Um, And and they, and I feel like they have a, a better pulse on what's you know how buyers buy today, frankly, um, and so we set out early on to build strong content. Right? I, I think if you had asked me a year ago how I was, you know, before I knew anything about Insightly, or a year and a half ago, I would say I want to build an in-house capability that produces awesome content that people can that our potential buyers. Can consume and get value out of. And that might be thought leadership content. Uh, It might be content that's that's, uh, very product oriented and feature function oriented. But we have to do all of that, I think, uh, to engage uh, the potential buyers. So, you know, almost a year ago, we launched uh, a podcast and YouTube show called Closing Time. We're almost at our 52nd episode and we decided to engage uh, influencers uh, that had a following on LinkedIn that spoke to our ICP, which is primarily go-to-market teams. And we started talking about go-to-market and things that uh, our ideal customers care about. And that's been super successful. The amount of engagement we've driven that way has been strong. We're leveraging the content organically on our website as SEO. We're leveraging it um, um, also in, in paid ads as well, and it, it's achieving strong engagement there as well. And you know, it's a clearly a very high funnel kind of activity, but it works also phenomenally well for retargeting. We found right, um, just being able to engage people with with something that relates to the product you offer. That's not specifically the product you offer. And again, it's part of John Jance's funnel, which is that no like trust, try, buy, repeat, refer. I mean, that's the funnel that I love the most because it really is. It really speaks well to how buyers engage with you these days and have to trust you before they're ever going to do business with you.
0: Yeah, and trust, that's a good point. Trust is not built off of product feature benefit statements.
1: No, right? <laughs> yeah, you earn that trust over time. I think by producing great content. Um,
0: well, yeah. it's interesting because you, you know, when I asked, you know, what are you most proud of, and content is 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 basically in in the production of content and and how that builds trust in, in, in that funnel. Um, I, I obviously believe that my company is called Content Strategies. Um, you you talked about two different levels of content there, um, you know, and you you called out thought leadership content. Could you give us an understanding, a little bit of what what your idea of thought leadership content is, and 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 why you called it out, and so therefore why it's important.
1: A, a big piece of my career, you know, a, a, an area of my, of my career that I'm very proud of is the 12 years that I spent with Exact Target you know, which at one point was, I was hired by the founders in 2001 at Exact Target. you know, Mm -hmm. and we were 10 people basically. And so I was at that email marketing company and from whatever, 20,000 a month, you know, to 350 million a year when we were acquired by Salesforce. And when we were doing thought leadership content in 2003, 2004, we didn't know that's what we were doing, right? We were just talking about the email marketing space and what things marketers needed to think about to optimize their campaigns, whether it was complying with Can spam or increasing open rates or click rates. Um, And so, you know, I think thought leadership has an element of best practices, but it has an element where you're ahead of the the curve a little bit, where a lot of people are here and thought leadership tends to be you know, uh, based on an uh, informed scientific opinion, where's, where's the ball going? You know, it's the whole Wayne Gretzky, where's the putt, puck going to be rather for, rather than right. where it is. And I think that that's what thought that leadership is. It's, it's an informed opinion about where the puck's going to be.
0: And that's so important because, you know, our buyers today, they want, they want, to know that we know their business, and we know, therefore, then what we do, our our technologies, how it fits in, how it fits in now, how it fits in tomorrow, where where the industry is going, where the technology is going, right? So on that on that front of kind of thought leadership and and, and being that trusted expert as a SaaS company, right? It's different than any B2B marketer, we have data, right? You know, Deloitte Mm -hmm. called uh, SaaS companies the, you know, the foundation for digital transformation, the the difference between the business of today and the business of tomorrow. As a SaaS company, what do you think are the opportunities, the benefits, because we're SaaS CMOs that are listening in today, What's different between a B two B marketer an ABM B two B marketer and a, a to, you know ABM B two B SaaS marketer? Like, what would what kind of advice and, and perspective would you have? that would be different there.
1: Can, can you give me the contrast again, Steve? What the, the difference so, between?
0: We're SaaS companies, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. As a SaaS company, we're we're technology, and we deal with data right, versus um, any B2B marketing company that isn't necessarily a, a technology company. Oh, sure, yeah. As a SaaS company, what does that mean for us when, when we're marketing, right, when we're trying to promote our companies? Um, how, is, how would you look at that different than if you were the CMO of a more of a traditional non-tech, non-SaaS B2B company?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I think... I need to try to proactively, and I've tried to do this, kind of get out of the own my own echo echo chamber that I'm in because I feel like I've, I'm very much in a B2B SaaS echo chamber, you know, on LinkedIn and just by being in SaaS for so long, it's just kind of how I think. So it's I realize it's a bit of a liability, and why you know it's helpful to talk to customers, whether they're in the manufacturing space or the financial space. Um, or advertising agencies, you know, that we're talking to about partnerships, things like that. But I think um, it's, uh, you know, when I talk to, we we have a lot of customers who are in the solar space, right? Um, and it's really fast growing space. And they love Insightly because they could kind of manage the whole of the, their customer's journey on the platform, right? You know, kind of from their marketing, their selling on it, their, servicing their customers when the install on their roof happens and then they're managing managing that project. Um, and that's a super real world journey, you know, that a company deals with, which frankly, you know, many offline, quote unquote, offline businesses now function like SaaS companies because they're engaging with their customers online via email, via, via text, Um, they're using scheduling mechanisms or apps and things like that. So it's almost the digital transformation to me is here, even though you maybe have 20 to 30% of companies that we still talk to that are managing their customer relationships on a spreadsheet, which, you know, uh, still happens in 2023, which by the way is great for us, I guess, there's still people that want to buy CRM. Um, But I, you know, I don't know whether that's all that different, you know, maybe that's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot more commonalities and differences, I think, Steve.
0: Well, what are some of the things that maybe are new? I mean, we're post-pandemic, right? We're, people are talking about the normalization that's happening now in 23, 2023 into 2024. You know, what are some of the things that are are new, that you're doing, you know, or, or just focusing more on, you know, than we have in the past.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think um, just the concept of influencers in a B2B setting is is a little bit different. You know, I, I remember first pitching that to the CEO and to the board and things like that. And it's like a different muscle. It, it seems, you know, it instantly people think of, Sham Wow or something, you know, some, some sort of you know B two C influencer who's who's engaged out there doing, uh, you know, cable TV or something. And so, but I think there is is a real role for thinking about who are the influencers in your space and B two B. So that's something we're thinking about differently. I think, um, uh, I think this the second is. That ungated approach that we all that we already talked about, just truly thinking beyond the form fill and how can I engage my buyers in a meaningful conversation that helps them along their buying journey. You know, and so we're using different ways to do that. A, a lot of the content on our website is ungated. We do still gate some critical content, which we still find important to do in certain uh, scenarios. Um, but we've also leveraged something from Drift uh, where it's sort of a conversational landing page, right? Where somebody shows up on a landing page and up comes the bot right next to it. It, The content's entirely ungated, but they can easily engage with your bot or with a a rep from Insightly if they want to just off to the side there. And so that's something that we're we're trying out. That's showing a lot of promise as well.
0: yeah, and Grift, you know uh, I, they they talk about um, conversation ready, and and they instead of MQLs, I think it's uh, conversation qualified. They they have a they have a different definition, right? They've they've done a lot of studying on this, and obviously they're they're one of the leaders in conversational marketing. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. So, it, how many pages do you have this kind of conversational format? Are you testing it or we're testing it
1: right now? Actually. Yeah. Uh, kind of head to head against other formats. Um, mm-hmm. So I've bought six different content pieces that way. So I think the other thing that we're doing is sort of similar. Um, we're doing an un, you know, ungated demo videos on our website as well. And, and trying to see, Hey, am I actually, helping people on their buyer's journey or am I quote unquote stealing from my otherwise demo requests, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's the immediate, you know, suspect of a lot of people is that maybe you're, you're stealing potential demo requests, but I I would argue that you're making it easier for the buyer um, to engage and learn about your product. And ultimately that should pay off down funnel.
0: I mean, that's one of the big differences of a SaaS company, right? It's like it's it's all towards a demo, right? All, all paths lead towards a demo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big question, right? Do you I mean, I I literally went through a funnel path with Zoom info recently and I signed up for a free trial, which put me right into a funnel where a salesperson, you know, the the email said, fantastic, we'll get right back to you and schedule your appointment. I had no idea right you know yeah. i mean that's the ultimate in like gating that they're doing right so there is a difference between you know what do we just how much of our products how much of our technology do we want to be self serve versus a, an advisor that's taking us through that um one of the the last things i want to ask here um when when I asked about you know what what you were most proud of and you talked about content, if you could, I talked about my team.
1: team too. I'm actually probably your most team. proud of my yes. team.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that team effort is around content, right? That's it, that's how we establish relationships. If you could put a on a scale of one to ten, in terms of importance to Insightly in the growth of the company. One, content, not important at all. Ten, vital. Like, where would you put that rating?
1: Yeah, it's it's closer to an eight or a nine, right? You know, it, it's, it's, it's right up there uh, in, in terms of importance, right next to the product we built. You know, I, I think it's because it's so both of those things are probably most tightly- aligned to our brand, you know, why do we exist? Who do we help? You know, why, you know, why should somebody consider us for solving their problems? All relate to what product do we offer? What does it do? And what do we believe, right? And so I think ultimately as a marketer, you're trying to find more people that believe what you believe. And, you know, we believe, you know, a lot of companies are paying too much for CRM and and using too many resources on it. And they need a more modern CRM that they can manage themselves and not spend all the resources on, right? So um, that's, that's sort of what we believe and we want other people to believe that as well. And content gets us there.
0: I like that. Aligning with it, because you're not gonna align with everybody. No company is right for every buyer, right? But yeah. if there's a belief set that's common, now you find you found common ground, right? Um, well, fantastic. Is there you know just before we sign off here, is there is there anything last words of wisdom or anything that you'd like to to share with <laughs> us?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, you know SaaS CMOS and SaaS marketing people have their job cut up for them, right? And it's it's an ever evolving discipline. And I, I was just um, responding to a LinkedIn post that I saw this morning that was sort of bemoaning that a little bit, like, here's all the crazy stuff that we're responsible for when, when you know, our CEOs and our, our boards don't get it, you know, so to speak. <laughs> mm. And I think it's an opportunity. I mean, I really do. And um, we are earning our PhDs in this by doing it, you know, and so I think my final thought is action over inaction uh, in everything will lead to learnings, which will lead to improvements. So action over inaction, good is better than perfect. And those are some of the values that we've even talked about as what are our marketing team values? Those are two of them that we try to live every day. And I'd encourage other CMOs to think that way as well.
0: Well, Chip, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much, Steve. I I appreciate what you're doing and uh, great questions. And uh, thanks again.
0: All right. Well, we wish the best of luck for you and Insightly. And we'll look forward to hearing from you uh, in the digital content sphere. How about that? Appreciate it. I'll see you next time.